We're in a series from my book called Flying Higher, and the series is the seven principles God uses to guide His people. In other words, God wants you out of a ditch. God doesn't want you to crash and burn. So He gives you some good principles that take you through life reasonably well, and although there'll be a little bit of turbulence, like on an airplane occasionally, nothing that's going to cause you to crash. So if you know people, all of us probably can think of friends or people we worked with who were a crash waiting to happen, and we weren't surprised when they did, right? When you see somebody crash, they didn't just crash. They've been running stop signs for a long time. God's very long-suffering, gracious, and merciful, but when you see somebody hit, hit the floor, they've been falling a long time. That's a fact. It didn't happen this weekend. It's been going on. We just didn't know it. I tell you what I also believe, even if you're not a Christian, God still puts some warning signs in your life, maybe good friends, maybe different circumstances, in order to try to get you to, to make a better choice. God does not want anybody to have a lousy life and a bad haircut. <laughs> I just threw that in because we have a few World War II guys back here that need to upgrade a little bit. I, that's all right. God bless them. It's okay. Some folks you just can't help. You just love them. Anyway, we, we talked about the, the, the principles God uses to guide his people, and that book's available in the bookstore. It's a big help if you're in a connect group and you want to get more detail on each of these subjects. I only get a half an hour to talk to you, so there's just a lot more in there that helps you on your journey through life. And we looked at those seven principles. One was inner conviction. The other one was scriptural, ugh, scriptural confirmation. God never does anything that violates his word, ever. Then there's prophetic confirmation, godly counsel, that's good advice, circumstances, the peace of, you know, you move into town, honey, where are we going to live in San Antonio? Well, I like that neighborhood, sweetheart, the wife says, and you look at the average cost of a house, it's $550,000, and the husband says, well, due to circumstances beyond our control, I don't make that much money, we can't live there. How many of you know God will guide you that way too? To say, we don't have the money to pay for that, so let's don't get it. And then there's uh, the peace of God in your heart. And then there's ultimately provision. Where God guides, he provides. So today we're going to look at prophetic confirmation. I need to say this at the outside because this one is dangerous. This one is the least used and the most dangerous. So that's why I want to address it quickly. It's not much fun, but it can be helpful when you know truth. Acts 20, verse 22. Here's Paul. Now I am being compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem without really knowing what will happen to me there. Yeah, I know the Holy Spirit warns me in town after town, saying chains and afflictions are prepared for you. Gee whiz, isn't that good news? <laughs> Acts 21, verse 3 through 14. After we sighted, uh, sighted Cyprus and sailed south of it, we docked at Tyre in Syria, where the ship unloaded its cargo. When we went ashore, we found a number of believers and stayed with them for a week. They prophesied to Paul repeatedly, warning him by the Holy Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. 
When it was time for us to leave and be on our way, everyone, men, women, and children, accompanied us down uh, to the beach. After we all knelt in the sand and prayed together, we kissed one another and said our goodbyes. We boarded the ship while the believers went back to their homes. From Tyre, we sailed to the town of Aco and greeted the believers there with peace. We stayed with them for a day. Then we went on to Caesarea and stayed for several days in the home of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven deacons and the father of four unmarried daughters who prophesied. During our stay of several days, Agabus, a prophet from Judea, came to visit us. As a prophetic gesture, he took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with it as he prophesied. The Holy Spirit says the one who owns this belt will be tied up in the same way by the Jews, and they will hand him over to those who are not Jews. When we heard this, both we and the believers of Caesarea begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul replied, why do you cry and break my heart with your tears? Don't you know that I'm prepared not only to be imprisoned, but to die in Jerusalem for the sake of the wonder of the name of our Lord Jesus? Then he goes on, Peter says, because we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said nothing more except may the will of the Lord be done. So prophetic confirmation is one of the least used confirmations of the seven that we're studying in the New Testament. However, it's a valid one. Some people would have you believe that prophecy doesn't exist anymore, but that is not the New Testament teaching. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word has not changed. Actually, it's a valid way to add confirmation to all of God's guidelines. You don't find in the New Testament this method used very often for direction. It is used mostly for encouragement, edification, and exhortation. And remember, here's the overriding principle for all seven of these when I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do. He tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word should be confirmed. In other words, you don't use one of these seven principles alone. You want at least two or three that agree before you make a move. Now, the bigger the decision, the more important the direction is, the more of those seven principles I want to agree. You ever heard somebody say, the Lord told me. Well, maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Have you submitted it to the test? You know, it could be a violation of Scripture. It could be violating wise counsel from people who are smarter and know better, who have already been to the rodeo and got a T-shirt, and you won't listen. But if you want to get your way, and no matter what, you just say, the Lord told me. When people come in to me and say, the Lord told me, I thought, well, what are you doing wasting my time? If the Lord told you, you think I'm going to argue with God? Now, I know what they're doing. They're just telling me, by the way, I've made up my mind to do this, and don't try to change it. But I do want to be, I do want to be able to tell people I came to the pastor or to spiritual authority and ask, uh, and, and ask for advice, which is total witchcraft, nonsense. Nobody wanted an opinion at all. You wouldn't walk in and say, the Lord told me. If you were smart, you'd say, you know, I'm feeling the impression that the Lord is saying to me, what do you think? Now, that's honest, and that gives God an open door with witnesses, with Scripture, to kind of keep you in balance. But don't go in anybody. At least be on, 
beyond notice. Don't come tell me that. That'll be the shortest conversation we ever had. Pray with you. Why would I pray with you? God told you, get out of my face. Go do it. Whatever. So some decisions are more important than others. You would agree. You didn't pray about what you were going to wear this morning. Some of you didn't pray at all. But anyway, some, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, but if you're going to college, if you're getting married, there are just a, a career change. Those are big deals. And you kind of want to know you're in the right groove so you don't mess up. So 1 Corinthians 14 gives us some prophetic guidelines. When the gift of prophecy is right, it's powerful, but when it's wrong, it can do more harm than all six other principles put together. So be very careful when you approach this one, okay? In chapter 14, Paul is correcting a church that is misusing spiritual gifts and creating chaos, total chaos. And the Corinthian church was a wild and immature place. It is not a good pattern. So verse 3, 1 Corinthians 14. But when somebody prophesies, he speaks to encourage people, to build them up, and to bring them comfort. So edification builds up people. Exhortation stirs the passion in people. Comfort cheers up people. And primarily, New Testament prophecy does all three. Verse 26, beloved friends, what does this imply? When you con conduct your meetings, you should always let everything be done to build up the church family. Whether you share a song of praise, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, let each one contribute what strengthens others. Everything in God is redemptive. It should always build up the church. Show me something that's tearing people down, hurting people, driving people to despair, and that is not being energized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always going to come to comfort and edify. The end result of all legitimate New Testament prophecy is basically comfort. And I, I think that's why the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. Prophecy, like other gifts, has to be supervised. It needs some guidelines. So verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 14 says, the same with prophecy. Let two or three prophets prophesy and let the other prophets carefully evaluate and discern what is being said. So notice there's liberty, but there's a limitation. There's freedom, but there's structure. All prophecy should be judged. You're not judging the prophet. You're judging the word he speaks. Is it scriptural? Let me pause. David Koresh, the Branch Davidians, the prophet, who challenged him? Who challenged the word he was telling people that he was the Messiah and his interpretation of Scripture and people blindly followed without checking anything? How about Heaven's Gate? You think I could convince you prophetically that if you'll eat poison tapioca, put a blanket over your head, lay down on a bunk bed in San Diego that we're going up to a flying saucer that's hiding behind a comet? Well, they did. Jim Jones? Nobody, nobody checked out that word. Nobody used the guidelines. And they all went in the ditch, tragically. So there is not a person who claims to be a prophet whose word is not to be judged. I don't care who you are. You judge that word. Get mature people to judge it. 
And you can get really goofy on this, which is why we try to keep the order of it. The, you know, when in the New Testament, they had small groups. They knew everybody. The Bible says, know them that labor among you. You don't just walk into an assembly where you're not a member, where you haven't been proven uh, by the leadership of that church and made known. It says, it says uh, they got to be known. They, they have some intimate relationship with you. Be known. Let those who labor among you be known. So if you jump up, you're out of order. That's totally out of order. Nobody knows you, but if you come to the headship or to authority in a meeting or group and said, I believe the Lord's put a word in my heart, and they ask you, well, would you share with me what you think the Lord is saying? And they give witness to it based on your character, time available, that could be shared because it's been approved. If somebody tells you no, you don't huff off mad. You did what you're supposed to do. You acted under authority. That's all you can do. So if anybody's to blame, it would be those in leadership. Okay? Okay. Uh, uh, I've been in this. I've been in this. I've seen circuses. Wild stuff. We're not going to have that. And the bigger the crowd, the more chance it gets chaotic. That's why I am a conservative charismatic. We kept our brain, and we're not going to go goofy. And we want to help people. We don't want to get into weird, wild, unscriptural areas that are mystical and unsupported by Scripture. I don't even want to waste my time. If you want to build a good life, then you build it on these solid principles, and you'll never go far astray. Most of the trouble from the Kansas City prophets got into several years ago was the result of nobody judging the prophecy. And because of that failure, it bred confusion. So if somebody were to give you a word somewhere else and it seems strange to you, you share that with mature other believers or authority within your church to say, what do you think? How does it strike you? You know, it, it, it should probably confirm what's in your heart. It shouldn't be like, well, I never thought about that. That doesn't sound like confirming anything. Anytime I've ever had a word, uh, it was typically something I was thinking about, wrestling about, but I had never expressed it, and it was just confirming I'm on the right, right path. That's all. So keep in mind that the anointing to prophesy doesn't mean the speaker is out of control. He can wait his turn. That means, if I interpret that right, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. That means I can hold anything. I don't have to blurt out anything. I can wait a week. I can never give it. I can hold it till I want to. I've, I've seen some people do outrageous things in church. And I thought, where's the, where's the spirit being subject to the prophet? No. God says, let everything be done decently and in order. We don't want a wild show. That wasn't New Testament. The only people that did the wild show were the Corinthians, and that's the only one they rebuked. Paul said, you guys are crazy. People say you're mad. You got no order at all. It's a circus. Okay, so, so I don't want to deny any of the gifts of the spirit. They're all valid today, but they have to be in order. That's all. So you got to be real careful. People walk out, the Lord told me, to, really? Then I'm going to let those who know me the best, who have spiritual maturity beyond me, who have been proven longer, I'm going to let them judge that word. Ah, you'll be okay. The Lord told me to tell you, you should leave your wife and marry the younger lady. That goes on too. Oh yeah. Or you should leave and God wants you in Minnesota or somewhere. Well, let's, he might, but let's judge it. Let's, let's, get, let's get a few more facts like wise counsel. Does it violate any scripture? Is there provision? You know, these are all valid questions God uses to give you a good reign on what you're about to do. 
Verse 33, 1 Corinthians 14, for God is not the God of confusion, as he's the God of peace, harmony, as is the pattern in all churches of God and all the holy believers. So if you're in confusion, there's no peace in your heart. Some prophecies bring confusion, but if it's from God, it won't confuse One well-known prophet told people to drive evil spirits from their homes by flushing Drano down every toilet. Are you kidding me? That will bring reproach and confusion. It's no wonder people be afraid of going to a church. That's crazy. Where do you see Drano anywhere in the New Testament to drive out a spirit? The Bible does say I have authority and power of attorney in Jesus' name to bind, to resist Satan, and to loose. But I... Drano is not there. Drano will clean your pipes, but it won't clean a demon, okay? That's just nonsense that goes on. Now, uh, okay, here's a little more touchy area. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. The women should be respectfully silent during the evaluation of prophecy in a meeting. They are not allowed to interrupt, but are to be in support roles as in fact the law teaches. So if they want to inquire about something, let them ask their husbands when they get home for a woman to embarrass herself when she constantly interrupts the church meeting. He doesn't want that to happen. So those two verses have been used out of context to stop women from teaching or ministering or prophesying. Now in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says a woman can prophesy and she can do it in church if she is covered And I'm sorry he's not talking about a hat, okay, or a scarf. You can be a witch and wear a hat, all right? Verse 5, 1 Corinthians 11, if any woman is in a place of leadership within the church and she prays or prophesies in public with her long hair disheveled, she shows disrespect to her head, which is her husband, for this would be the same as having her head shaved. Now, Paul's concern wasn't the women prophesying. He was making sure she was in order and properly covered by authority. One translation of this verse says, you say, let your women keep silent in the church. Paul is arguing with them that the law did not say that, and Paul knew it very well. He wrote 75% of the New Testament. You'll never find anything in the law that says women cannot prophesy. So Paul was mocking their teaching by saying, you say. So Paul wasn't saying women can't prophesy or teach or preach. He was pointing out their problem was not doing it in order. Joel 2, verse 28. After all these things, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Watch it. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Some of you old men out there. Dream again. Grow some eagle feathers. Don't just sit and soak and sour and rot. Your old men will dream dreams, dream, and your young men see visions of what could be. We hope our young people today can see things better and bigger and brighter. We're just pioneers that laid the foundation to get us here, but I want to go a lot higher, and so old men need to dream. I'm still dreaming. I think you're dead when you quit dreaming. I don't think it's retirement age. I think it's you just quit dreaming. So a great deal of local church problems in prophecy came from women and men not in order. They didn't honor authority. They don't honor headship. And Paul says it's unseemly. So Paul says it's like prophesying in church without your head being covered. He's not worried about whether you wear a hat. He's interested in fulfilling this spiritual principle. Let me pause a second to say 
when there's two heads. If you're married, the head of the wife is the husband. That's not a boss. That's not a dictator. It's just a spiritual authority. You want both of us to be in agreement. But he says, in the order of a home, dad should be the head of the home, the leader, the one who provides, who protects, and the children be subject to the parents. So God has an order for the church as well. So you have the set man, that's me, the founder, then you have the elders, you have a government authority, then you have uh, campus pastors and teachers and those that run different classes. They've been selected by leadership, so they have a measure of authority. So if the husband says to the wife, honey, I'm perfectly fine with you teaching that class or bringing this word this weekend or filling in for Rick, she's covered, not with a scarf, but by authority, her head, husband has covered her. And then when the the leadership of the church says we approve her, her character, she's been proven, she is, uh, I release her to minister, that woman when she preaches, teaches, or prophesies up here, she's fully covered. She's fully covered. She's in divine order. So the issue is not a hat or anti-women. And you have to remember, this is early in the New Testament when women before had no rights. Now Jesus has let them have equal rights. And in some cases, some of the girls are going wild. Girls gone wild in the church. And they're shouting out and interrupting and doing all kinds of stuff. But to use that as an excuse that a woman can't teach. I always wondered why Southern Baptists would allow a female missionary to go on the foreign field and teach pagan men. But would not let them teach in the United States. Hypocrite. Don't know how to do the Bible. That's silly. A woman can teach or preach or do anything as long as she's covered. Her husband's in agreement. Spiritual authority's in agreement. That woman is good as gold. That's right. And if you felt like the Lord had a word, then you come to the authorities. You don't get up and shout it. You come and submit it. Judge this word. I've had on rare occasions people to bring me what they thought, and I knew the person, knew their character, wonderful people, long-term members, and I said, I think that's a good word. I'll ask you to bring it, and I'll bring you a microphone. But, that, but the bigger you get, the more confusion you can get, and the more out of order you can get, and the less time we have. I remember our early services were like three hours. I could shoot myself for that, but that was the culture. And some of you from African-American churches can remember five hours or all day. Dinner on the grounds and keep it going. Your wife will go through menopause before you got home. It was that long. Well, that's not today. So we have, to, we have to structure that. A seminar for gifts or home groups, smaller groups, that's wonderful. But when you get in the major assembly, you don't have time for disorder or whatever. So that, that's why we do what we do. Okay, verse 12, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. I don't advocate that newly converted women be the teachers in the church, assuming authority over the men, but to live in peace. Well, that's just common sense. Brand new Christian in the church. So the woman can lead as long as she's under authority. And we've got plenty of women in the church that lead, make decisions, and who do great things for the Lord. And I'm thrilled because they are submitting to their husbands and to pastoral authority. And if you don't have a husband, but you're submitted to the spiritual authority of the church, you're covered. You're good as gold. Verse 31, 1 Corinthians 14. For you can all prophesy in an environment where all present can be instructed, encouraged, and strengthened. So it doesn't matter who does it man or woman, but you better do it 
in divine order. That's all. See, women are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. That is the same spirit of superiority that's in the world that is racially prejudiced and sexually prejudiced, but there is order and authority in the kingdom. You've got to remember, there is order. If I came to your home, I don't care what it is, it's going to have some order in it. If you came out of a military home, it's got order in it. You may not even like them, but it's, there's a way you can behave in one person's home. You can't behave in another person's home. So even if I visited another church, I have no right to interrupt or to impose my word or will on that church without the permission of the spiritual authority of that church. Know them that labor among you. They don't know me. I just walked in. I have no responsibility there. I have been given no authority. Shut up, Rick, and ask permission. That's how it works. Charismatics are wild. That's why a lot of people are scared of the Holy Spirit because they've seen a few people who are filled with the Holy Spirit act like crazy people. And God's want to say, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I'm not the author of confusion. Somebody's out of order. So if it violates scripture, if it violates wise counsel, if it violates the inner conviction of the Holy Spirit, I mean, just th those three alone right there, done. Not true. Is that okay? Is that help? This is not a fun one for me to do, okay? Jezebel always thinks she's more spiritual than anybody in leadership, and she's always married to an Ahab. You cannot have a Jezebel unless you have a weak man. And weak men in the Bible, this is not, this is not being macho crud. It's just in the Bible, the man was to be the protector and the leader and the provider. And weak men were a sin and an affront to God. Listen to Isaiah 3, verse 12. God hates weak men being ruled over by strong women. He doesn't hate strong women. He's got lots of them. He hates weak men. Listen to, listen to Isaiah 3, verse 12. Childish leaders oppress my people and women rule over them. Oh, my people, your leaders misled you. They sent you down the wrong road. Men who won't lead, women who won't follow. That's, the, that's out of order. So it's a strong, controlling spirit of witchcraft. By the way, Jezebel, a spirit of Jezebel can be in a man as well as a woman. It's interesting, nobody names their kids Jezebel <laughs> or Ahab. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, nobody. Verse 40, 1 Corinthians 14. But be sure that everything is done decently and in order. Now, there are other kinds of prophecy besides exhortation, edification, and comfort. There's directional prophecies. Not much in the New Testament. 1 Samuel 10, Samuel told Saul where to go, what to expect when he got there. There's conferral prophecy. That's in 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you, Tim, when the elders of the church laid their hands upon you. They conferred a gift to this person. Then there's correctional prophecy prophetic rebuke there is judgment prophecy again this is very rare in the new testament but acts 5 is one example peter talking to ananias and sapphira uh, in a moment you'll be dead how'd you like to get one of those prophecies and they died dead graveyard dead as we used to say in south carolina dead but that'll get you attention that sure get the attention of the church in a moment but the problem with prophecy is it's dangerous when it's unchecked. However, it is a valid method of confirmation. 
Proverbs 14, 4, the only clean stable is an empty stable. So if you want the work of an ox and enjoy abundant harvest, you got to be willing to have a mess or two occasionally to clean up. So if you're going to allow the gifts of the Spirit, you're going to have biblical government, then you can count on sometimes a mess. People who get in the flesh, who abuse gifts, who fail to operate them biblically or in order. And a lot of the church has simply outlawed all gifts of the Spirit, so there won't be any mess or confusion or error. But that position is the worst error. You can have good, strong government, you can be conservative, and still allow God's wonderful gifts to flow. And particularly when we have a guest here in some way. They may speak prophetic, they may have a prophecy, they may have a word of knowledge about something to encourage you. But it's always going to comfort you, encourage you, exhort you, or edify you. That's good. If something is wrong, we'll get it corrected in love and try again. But don't get uptight. Jesus prophesied to Peter and told him how he's going to die, crucified, and he's going to be upside down. Now, that didn't comfort me. I don't know if that comforted Peter, but I suppose at the moment it wasn't comforting. But when they were crucifying Peter, he remembered Jesus prophesied this was going to happen to me. So he's comforted that the Lord would see him through it since the Lord had prophesied it would happen. And many times prophecy can't be judged immediately. It's not unscriptural, but you're just unsure. What do you do then? Put it on the shelf. Wait and see. Don't get stressed. We'll see. Actually, almost all prophecy should be confirming. Let's say you're headed a certain way, and due to circumstances, you become uncertain. Am I doing the right thing? Am I going the right way? And prophecy can confirm you're okay. The storm doesn't change the direction. Never try to bring a prophecy to pass. Don't help God out. Abraham tried to help God fulfill a prophecy about having a kid. And he decided, I'll help God out. So he got his handmaiden Hagar and produced Ishmael, the work of Abraham's flesh. And every problem in the Middle East today is because of Abraham trying to help God make God's promise come true. If God made you a promise, your age doesn't matter, your circumstances don't matter, your race doesn't matter, your geology, geographics doesn't matter. He'll do whatever it, he'll back up the sun 10 degrees, he'll make it stand still, he'll open the Red Sea, he'll feed you with a raven, he will retard the aging of your body. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Abraham was 100 when he had a baby. And more of a stretch would be a 90-year-old wife. <clears throat> and after Abraham tried everything he knew to help God out, it's like God backed off and says, you give up? Well, yeah, she's out of eggs, and I'm out of testosterone, and yep, I can't do it. God says, okay, now that it's impossible for you, I'll do something for you. And God, that night in a tent, the Bible says that she laughed when God told them they're going to have a baby. Abraham laughed, and when a laugh and a laugh get together, they produced Isaac, which means laughter. So something happened in that tent that, re that reversed the aging of their bodies. In fact, Abimelech wanted her for his harem. What man not on drugs wants a 90-year-old woman for his harem? God did something supernatural. I'm thinking, Henry, 
Give me a double shot of that. I don't know what Abraham's smoking, but I'll have some, Lord. Touch me. How many of you girls would like a 30-year decrease? Yeah. Wouldn't that be something, guys? I mean, but it did happen. It's not a doctrine, but God can do anything. And I'm just saying the key here is don't help God out. God doesn't need your help. You just trust him, and he's not moved by time or age or circumstances or who's in the government. If God made a promise, God will bring it to pass. It's that simple. Jeremiah 23, verse 21 and 22 says, I have not sent these prophets, yet they run around claiming to speak for me. I have given them no message, yet they go on prophesying. If they had stood before me and listened to me, they would have spoken my words, and they would have turned my people from their evil ways and deeds. See, but they didn't. So prophecies need correction as well at people who are in wickedness. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 1 through 10, speaks of God causing the prophets to give a false answer to people who want not to do God's will, but their own selfish desire. So God says, okay, if that's what you want to hear, I'll give it to you. And he'll put a lying spirit in the mouth of those prophets. Boy, I don't want that. You know, the Bible says, if any man will do his will, that's the key. He shall know. I promise you this. If you, want to, if you will do what God shows you to do and he makes it clear to you, you'll always come out okay. You will. He will get to you somehow, even if we're thick-headed, even if we've been mistaught, he will get the word to you the right way. God is not limited like we are, okay? I remember a story of William Brannan. He, he, he had this incredible word of knowledge gift and healing. This is back primarily in the 40s and early 50s. I, I, and I need to say this. When God gives you a gift, he's not validating the container. He's validating the gift. And a gift is not something you earn, which means I am so approved because I have this wonderful gift, especially a supernatural gift as powerful as that. But he was uneducated, illiterate, had terrible doctrine, but he had a powerful gift. Never lift that container on a pedestal. I can honor the gift, but not the character of the person it's in. There are people with lousy character, bad doctrine that have a gift. And they can manipulate others with it, use it improperly, but still, it's a gift. Have you ever had a gift? Did anybody ever give anybody anything in here ever? You didn't do anything for it. Somebody paid for it and gave it to you. Well, when God gives a spiritual gift, it's not a merit badge. He didn't earn it. It's just a gift. And he had this powerful word of knowledge. Two guys come up to expose him as a false prophet. One would pretend to have cancer, and if Branham attempted to pray for him, the other guy was going to scream fraud. When Branham approached the guy, he backed away and said, I see you and another man in a room conspiring with this man who's seated right over here to ridicule me and the gift that God has given me. And the word of the Lord to you is, the disease you have falsely said you had, you now have it. And the man died in six months with cancer. I used to have headlines from the newspapers I gave to John Wimber at Fuller Theological Seminary that uh, relatives who f followed Branham in the 40s and 50s saved all the headlines from newspapers around the country. And I gave them to him for a historical reference. Again, it didn't validate Branham. It just validated a powerful gift that he had. 
Never make fun of the Holy Spirit. It can be real serious. Real prophets do give direction. They can rebuke. They do bring judgment. And when they don't, it's usually because they're into charismatic witchcraft, trying to manipulate somebody and bring them under your control to get them to do what you want them to do. Manipulation through prophecy is very common in the body of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 20 and 21 says, Don't be one who scorns prophecies, but be faithful to examine them by putting them to the test. And afterward, hold tight to what has proven to be right. So he's telling you, examine it, test it, put it to this test with these principles. And then if it's right, you hold on to it. If it's wrong, you discard it. Why do restaurants put up a sign, no shirt, no shoes, no service? Because people go in that way. Why did Paul write, despise not prophesying? Because it's easy to despise when you see so much abuse. But he's saying, don't do that. So Paul says, hold fast to the good, let go of the part that's flesh. It's like drinking water from a hose. The water tastes like the hose. Prophecy comes through an imperfect vessel. So instead of despising it and throwing the entire thing out, learn how to prove all things and hold fast. Good. Real prophecy reveals the heart, and it awaits a future season at times to confirm. Sometimes it confirms something you've already done. Sometimes it doesn't make sense for the moment, but it will later. Most of the time, you won't understand the prophecy you received has come true until after it's fulfilled. On the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, everybody's falling down, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and people think they're drunk. But Peter says they're not drunk with alcohol, but this is that spoken of the prophet Joel. Look how long it took to come true. But they didn't understand it until it happened. So be willing to put a word on the shelf and leave it for a while. It doesn't change what God's going to do. Don't get nervous. Don't get uptight, even if you don't completely understand it. Amen? So all I'm saying to you is prophecy has to be judged. That's all. Don't run off with a word uh, until you've examined it and checked it. And God sees your heart. And when you're willing to submit to, with authority, you're willing to submit to God's word, uh, you're willing to submit to the peace of God, to provision, you're not going to make any big major mistake. It still takes faith to step out and do something. But don't run off because somebody claims to be a prophet and they prophesy. Sometimes prophecy can come prophetic teaching, prophetic speaking to encourage, exhort. And most of the time, it's going to just encourage you, exhort you, and edify you or confirm something in you. That's primarily all you see in the New Testament with just a few exceptions. So never live in the exception, live in the rule, but allow for an exception, okay? Because I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to get misled because religion gets as many goofy people in it as, as any other mess that goes on. But if you'll stay with God's word and you'll stay with a good heart, I want to do what you want me to do, not just my will, but thy will be done. You're going to be okay. God's got a good plan. Amen. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.